couple of weeks ago, I was in my office and trying to meet some deadlines. I was typing away on my computer, studying, trying to get some things done. And I knew that Claire was out and about that afternoon. And so I sent her a text. I said, Claire, I'm, I'm really busy. Could you just bring me by some lunch? Just bring me by something to eat so I don't have to get out of the office. And I didn't, I didn't hear anything. I knew she was out and about. But I didn't get a text back. And about uh, 30 minutes later, there was a knock on my office door. And so I went to the door, and it was a Domino's delivery person. Now, my first thought, to be honest, was this was our children's pastor, Kevin, messing with me. That was my first thought. But then I, then I went and, and spoke to them, and the, and the, the young lady said, are you, are you Wade? And I said, I am. So I have your sandwich and chips and water. And I said, is this from my wife? And she said, yes. I said, is it paid for? She said, yeah, she paid for it. And so, uh, you know, Claire, out and out, she was busy too. She had a lot going on, but she was going to make sure I had lunch. Now, you know what that is? That's love, right? That's love. You know, love is not just saying you love somebody. Love is action, right? I- expressing your love through deeds. And Claire did that for me on that day, making sure I had a good lunch. Well, it's one thing to talk about the love of God. It's another thing to look at how the Bible describes the love of God, and to see what God has done to display His love. What God has done to prove His love for you and for me. And so I want to answer this question this morning. The question is, how do we know God loves us? How do we know God loves us? Some of you in here are believers in Christ. But you've forgotten the love of God for you. You, you, You've gotten over the love of God for you. You you no longer stand in awe of how much God loves you. Some of you, perhaps, are not believers in Christ. And you might even be wondering this morning, does God love me? I mean, does God love me, insignificant me, sinful me, with all that I have in my past, all that's going on in my present, does God love me? And so whatever group you're in, we all need to be reminded of His love. And to understand how it is we know that God loves us. I want to give you three answers to that question that come from the Word of God. Three answers to the question, how do we know God loves us? Here's the first one, you ready? He initiated our salvation. He initiated our salvation. Look what it says there in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Where's love from? Love is from God. Love originates in God's heart. Before we ever experience love or share love or understand love, we need to understand love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, verse 9, the love of God was manifested or made known. That's what that word means in us. How was God's love made known in us? Look how he answers that question. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Watch this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. I I want you to understand this morning, if you love God, before you ever began to love Him, He loved you first. 
And before you ever begin to seek Him and embrace His salvation, He sought you first. And you could never seek Him until He sought you. Now, there's a couple of different ways that we, that we can think about God initiating our salvation. I want to give you a couple of thoughts to, to understand how important this really is. First of all, the rescue plan of God was in place before creation. Not only was God's plan of salvation in place before you were born, it was in place before creation was ever spoken into existence. That's pretty phenomenal, right? Over in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 23, when Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, he says that the Son of God was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. That means that before creation ever leapt into existence by the word of Almighty God, God knew some things. You know, God knows everything, right? He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. God knew that after He created everything and created Adam and Eve, that they would sin. And He knew that because of their sin, sin would come and corrupt all of creation, including everyone that was born after Adam and Eve. Everyone that was born after Adam and Eve as their descendants, were born with a sin nature, including you, including me. And because we have a sin nature, you know what we do? We sin. We sin. Everyone has a sin nature. If you don't believe there's a such thing as a sin nature, think about your toddlers. Do you have to teach them how to lie and manipulate? It just comes naturally, doesn't it? I mean, I never sat down with my kids at an early age and said, I want to teach you how to deceive mommy and daddy. Right? But they know how to, how to try to get their way because they have a sin nature. And all of us have that sin nature. And because of that sin nature, we all sin. Which means we all need salvation. We all need a rescuer. We all need redemption. And, and God knew that was our greatest need. So before God ever spoke the universe into existence, God had the plan ready to go. In the Garden of Eden, God was not reacting to Adam and Eve's sin. He was proactive. He already had a plan of salvation in place that culminated in him sending his son, the incarnation, and his son dying on the cross and rising from the dead for our sins. So the rescue God, uh, plan of God was in place before creation. So you think you initiated your salvation? No! The very, the very fact that you could be saved was in place before you were even born. I like what Ken Ham writes, thinking about this salvation plan being in place before the foundations of the world. He writes, as you think about the fact that in eternity God had predetermined the Son of God would become a man to die for our sins, contemplate these things. When God created the heavenly bodies on day four of creation, quoting Genesis 1.14, for signs and for seasons, for days and years... He knew that one of the signs would be for the time the Son of God would become a man, born of a virgin in a town called Bethlehem. Remember, there was a star that, that led the wise men to where Jesus was. And God had that, that star in place when he created. When God made the trees and all plants on the third day of creation, Genesis 1.11, he knew that a tree would one day be used for the most evil event of history, when evil men would crucify the Son of God. And yet, by God's foreknowledge and predetermined plan, this event would occur for the salvation of souls. 
when God made the land animals on day 6, Genesis 1.24. He knew that he would soon sacrifice at least one of those animals because of our sin in Adam. Remember, when Adam and Eve sinned, they, they were ashamed. They knew they were naked, so God killed an animal and covered them with animal skins. This speaks of the covering of, of God's salvation. He knew, he had pre- predetermined that this would one day happen to the Son of God. That he would die to cover our sins. When God cursed the ground and caused thorns and thistles to grow because of sin, Genesis 3.18, contemplate the fact that God knew that one day thorns would be used to pierce the brow of his son as he hung on that tree, paying the penalty for our sin. Mark 15.17, they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. Ken Ham writes, Doesn't this all want to make you fall on your knees? And worship our Creator, praise Him, and continually thank Him for the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. You need to understand, God loves you so much, He had the rescue plan in place before He even created the universe. There's another truth that speaks of God initiating His salvation in our lives. Here it is. We would never seek the rescuer. We would never seek Jesus if he didn't draw us first. The Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. So you weren't walking around one day and, uh, and, and, and then you came to the conclusion, okay, I, I want to get saved today, and you got saved because you came to your own senses. The, the, the reality is, if you came to your senses, it's because God worked in your heart to bring you to your senses. You say, well, I don't believe that. Listen to what Jesus said over in John six forty four. Jesus said, listen, no man can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? No man can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. So if you have embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's only because the Father first drew you and showed you your need for a Savior. He initiated that work in your life. Now now listen, he didn't have to do that, did he? He could have left us in our sins, groping in the darkness. The Bible says that no one seeks after God. We would never have sought the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ if God didn't seek us first, if God didn't draw us to himself. And God could have just let you languish and die in your sins, but He loves you so much and loves me so much that He initiated His work in your life. Perhaps you're here today, and you're not saved. You're not born again. You don't know where you'll spend eternity. Perhaps right now, the Holy Spirit of God, on behalf of the Father, is gripping your heart and drawing you, showing you how much you need Jesus. That's God's grace. That's God's love. The fact that that uncomfortable thing is happening in your heart right now, that's because God loves you. And He wants you to be saved. He wants you to experience eternal life and forgiveness of sins and a relationship with the God of the universe. So we see that we would never seek God if He didn't seek us first. I'm so glad He sought me first. When I was saved at nine years of age, it's because God had had been working in my heart. I don't deserve God to work in my heart. I don't deserve God drawing me to himself. I don't deserve God showing me how much I need a Savior. I don't deserve to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, but I'm glad he came to me before I came to him, aren't you? 
So let me say it like this. As we think about God initiating salvation in our lives, God accomplished everything necessary to save us, and then He drew us so that we would see our need for a Savior. You say, wait, how do I know God loves me? He already had the plan in place. And He works in your heart to draw you so that you can see your need for a Savior. Amazing love, right? But there's another answer to this question. How do I know God loves me? The second answer is this. We know because He gave His only Son. He gave His only Son. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, the Bible says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. That's what Christmas is, right? God sending His Son into the world. Incarnation. And this verse says that God sending His Son into the world is the manifestation of His love. The incarnation is a reflection of, or, or better yet, a declaration of God's love for us. If God didn't love us, He wouldn't send His only Son. Now, as you were reading that verse, hopefully, you began to think about another popular verse. Sounds a lot like that verse. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He did what? He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The fact that he gave is linked to his love. He loves us so much, he, he sent his son. And here's what you need to understand. Jesus is the greatest gift that has ever been offered. And don't forget that. One of the reasons I'm not anti-gift giving at Christmas is because I believe our gift giving is a, is a shadow, a faint shadow, but a shadow of, of, the, of the greatest gift that's ever been given. And so give gifts. In moderation, don't go crazy, but give gifts. And, and, and enjoy that, you know, that iPhone you get or that sweater you get or the new flat screen Vizio or whatever you got, whatever you're getting. Enjoy it, okay? But understand that these are all reminders. These are all pointers to the greatest gift that's ever been given. Jesus Christ. Who not only changes our lives in the here and now, He gives us the gift of eternity with God. What greater, greater gift is there than that? God gave His Son. God sent His Son. That's a, a, a declaration of His love. But listen to me. God sent His Son for a reason. God sent His Son to die. Jesus was born under the shadow of the cross. He came for the express purpose of being our, our sacrifice, our substitute on the cross. God sent His Son to die. I like what J.I. Packer writes in Knowing God. He writes, the measure of love is how much it gives. And the measure of the love of God is the gift of His only Son to become human. And to die for sins, and so to become the one mediator who can bring us to God. What more could God do to prove His love for you than send His only Son to die in your place? And if you think that's not a big deal, think about your love for your kids. 
Would you give your kids to take the punishment for the vilest criminals in this world? I wouldn't. But that's what God did. He sent His Son to take the punishment for sinners like me. That's how much He loves us. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates, God proves His love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. What more could God do to say that He loves you than sending His Son as a gift to die for our sins? It's like the old hymn says, And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sins. If you don't feel wonder and awe this Christmas season, reflect for a few moments on the love of God. That He sent His Son to die for you and to die for me. He gave His only Son. But there's a third answer to this question. How do we know God loves us? He initiated our salvation. He gave His only Son. But here's the third answer to that question. God the Son, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus, God the Son, took the punishment for our sins, the punishment that we deserve. Look in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that word propitiation is a, is a big theological word, but it is rich. And if you don't understand propitiation, you, you don't get Christmas. So what does the word propitiation mean? Well, if you look there in your notes, propitiation is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath. That's what the word means. So when Jesus died on the cross, He took all of our sins on Himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says He became sin for us. And on the cross, the wrath of God against our sin, the wrath we deserve was poured out upon Jesus. He took our punishment for us. That's what was happening on the cross. Because God the Father was punishing God the Son in our place, that's why Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all of eternity, there was some sort of separation between God the Father and God the Son because Jesus had become sin. And God the Father was punishing Jesus so that we would not have to be punished. That's what propitiation means. He satisfied the wrath of God. And then get this. Jesus fully satisfied God's wrath at the cross and he did it willingly. Do you understand today that Jesus didn't have to die? As a matter of fact, turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Let me show you the words of Jesus. Verse 17. Jesus says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, 
but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. Jesus is saying, as I walk through these coming events, betrayal, arrest, scourging, beatings, false accusations, carrying my cross to Golgotha, being nailed to that rugged tree. As I, as I experience all of this, you need to understand Jesus is saying, I'm not a victim of circumstances beyond my control. Throughout the entire passion narrative, Jesus was calling the shots. Do you remember what he said to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus? Peter took out his sword and cut off the, the high priest's servant's ear. He was going to fight. And, and Jesus instantly healed the servant's ear and he said to Peter, Peter, put away your sword. Don't you understand that I could call 12 legions of angels, that's 72,000, to come and rescue me from this. Jesus was saying, I don't have to die. I'm not a victim of circumstances beyond my control. I'm calling the shots, Peter. And I am choosing, in obedience to the Father, and because of my love for humanity, I am choosing to go to the cross. I lay down my life on my own initiative. Philippians 2 says that Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It was his obedience, his his willingness that caused him to die. And that obedience and that willingness was motivated by his love. And so Jesus became our propitiation. He died in our place. He satisfied the wrath of God. And to illustrate this, I want you to watch a short video that I believe is a powerful picture of propitiation. So watch this video. John Shear is 92 years old. He's worked at Santa Anita Park for 51 years, but just 10 seconds mattered most. 911, what's your emergency? And I shouted to everybody, clear out the way, there's a loose horse coming this way. And when I looked down, there was a little girl standing there. That little girl, five-year-old Roxy Key. Look again, there's Roxy on the left, and there's John, throwing his body over her, absorbing the full impact of the runaway horse. I knew I was going to get hit. You cannot stop and think, should I or shouldn't I? There's a five-year-old girl. I'm 90 years old. She hasn't had a life. I've had a life. You've got to save that life. What would have happened to your daughter if John Shear hadn't been there? Dead. She's dead. Critically injured, John Shear would spend seven weeks in the hospital. More than two years after their lives first intersected, 92-year-old John Shear drove to a ballet studio where a now eight-year-old Roxy was to perform. Thank you for dancing for me, Roxanne. I love you. I want to say he lived 92 years just to do that one thing, but that's a 
very huge thing. Of all the things you've done, John, where does this rank in terms of your life? It ranks number one. Sacrificing himself for a child he had never met before. That's what makes John Shear America strong. Chris Connolly, ABC News, Los Angeles. There was John throwing his body over the girl and absorbing the full impact of the runaway horse. Did you hear that line? That's propitiation. Jesus Christ threw himself between us and a holy God and absorbed the full impact of God's wrath against our sin, the wrath that we deserve. And he took it on his own shoulders and satisfied that wrath so that we would not have to experience that wrath, so that we might be forgiven and saved. And you might watch that video and say, well, this five-year-old girl was deserving of having her life saved by this older gentleman. But when it comes to propitiation, we were not deserving of that salvation. We didn't deserve God the Son throwing himself between us and the wrath of God the Father. But Jesus did that because he loves you. And so you're here today and you say, wait, how do I know God loves me? It's pretty clear, isn't it? God initiated salvation in our lives. He gave his only son. And Jesus, God the Son, the one born of the Virgin Mary, the one we're celebrating this Christmas, he grew up, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. I like how the Apostle John says it in 1 John 3.16. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us.